Welcome to another Art of Relationships podcast. We are grateful for listeners like you. Let's get right into it. Hey, we are so glad to have you back with us for another episode of the Art of Relationships podcast. Uh, I'm joined here with my handsome husband, Chris Grace. Hi, Chris. Hey, good to see you. How are you doing today? (laughs) Real good. Thanks. It's fun to be back and uh, fun to just be able to start exploring some fun topics huh, related to relationships. It's something we do all the time and it's really fun. And then, uh, but it's good to be back here and, and uh, hopefully COVID is leaving uh, for at least a season oh, so man. people can get back to things. Please. Yeah. We actually just went through it, both of us, about a month ago, huh? Right, yeah. Oh man, that was, that was killer. But yeah, it's good. It's, it's the summer and things are kind of quiet here on campus. We're at Biola University where uh, we have our Center for Marriage and Relationships. And so it's good to be talking with people. And uh, and we have a really special topic that we actually want to address today, something that's really important, really widespread, and something that we're guessing that either you struggle with or someone you know struggles with. Yeah. This. And the topic is when you become too attached to the Los Angeles Dodgers or the LA Lakers <laughs> and, and they disappoint you. And what do you do when oh, you're watching, you know, painful. TV and, and all of a sudden, you know, we, we lose it in the ninth inning. I, it's just, oh, it's such it's a painful. hard life. But we still love, we still love our Dodgers. We do. We still bleed blue. <laughs> yeah, there, there we go. Well, um, no, it is a hard topic. And, and so we will introduce at least, and, and the, the topic is going to be, I think we, sh- we should spend some time, is looking at mental health. Um and mental uh, unhealth, mental disorders, psychological disorders. And I think uh, looking at it in general, one of the things I think we could uh, spend some time, and I'd love to get your thoughts, Lise, and then I'll share some of mine. It's what happens when someone that we are close to uh, is struggling with mental health, Uh, you know, whether it's you know, anxiety is most common, depression, mm-hmm. all, all of those types of, of struggles, whether it's with emotions or thoughts or certain behaviors, even addictions. Uh, but what do you do? And, and we run into this question all of the time, not only on college campuses, but, you know, mm-hmm. at conferences across the country. And, Everywhere. And, yeah. And I think uh, a lot of people, uh, I think, fear um, that they are just ill-equipped. They don't know what to do. If it's a child, you know, they call us and say, I don't know what to do with my my youngster. I, you know, the, this kid's in the third grade and is falling behind. Or, or you know, or their college kid is coming home uh, after a troubling, you know, mm-hmm. semester. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and I, so I, I think we need to just spend a couple of sessions, uh, you know, in times, I guess, talking about what what is mental illness or mental health? How is it identified? Are there been changes going on? You know, in the in the last number of years, uh, and then what happens when someone very close to me is struggling? Yeah, that is such a it's a great question, and you know, I, th- I think of another person out there that that might be affected by this would be like the young mom who has young children at home 
and everything she just worries and fears has irrational fears about what might happen to her children mm-hmm. it might be the 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 man at work who is having a panic attack on the way home from work because there's just so much stress and so much anxiety going on so this could affect anybody any place any time and so chris i want you to Tell us a little bit about what would be the difference? How would you tell the difference between something that would be common everyday stress that everybody encounters Mm -hmm. versus when it becomes a problem and it might be considered like a mental disorder? You know, what happens in any time we experience as humans emotions, you know, we were teasing about baseball, but some people just get so excited and so happy about certain events and 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 they're and they get very sad uh, or fearful and they they happen to be a little bit more emotional others maybe don't have as many strong emotions they don't express them they probably feel them about the same but mm-hmm. so people vary on this range right uh, you are very excitable when think good things happen mm-hmm. uh, you get real excited you jump up and down and and you're real fun to be around with good news being shared and you're also pretty steady and calm during, you know, difficult times. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm similar, but I, I kind of have more muted responses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we've had to learn that, that, that our emotional expressions are different. Uh, and so we have to take that into account. So what if, I, if you and I show exact same levels of anger in a certain situation, it might not be weird for me because that's normal. It might, but it might be weird for you mm-hmm. and more extreme because you're not commonly, you know, predisposed to that, right? And so once we take that into account, I think uh, the, the, the primary uh, difference between what is normal fear what is normal anxiety and when does it become, you know, something what we would call disorder or when does it lead to uh, uh, maybe a, even a diagnosis of, of anxiety? So the interesting thing about that is it's not a quick, easy answer. But if this begins to interfere with your daily functioning, if, if you no longer are able to participate in certain things, if if all of a sudden, you, you know, you've been on this you know, sports team or in this club or working in this environment and you can't go to it because you fear, you know, what's going to happen. And, and all of a sudden you begin to change your life and it starts to interfere with things. Now you're starting to look at, OK, maybe this is starting to have real world effects. So or let's say it's sadness. Is it normal to be sad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody, you know, is hurt in our life. Somebody that we love is is dealing with something that is hard and, and or somebody has hurt us. Or you have a disappointment. You have a disappointment. Mm-hmm. So you're sad. Well, how long is it okay to be sad? Mm-hmm. How long is it okay for your child, your high school student, or you as a college student, how long is it okay to be sad about a breakup? So is it okay to be sad for a weekend? The answer is, yeah, probably. If you've been dating a person a long time, now you go through a breakup, you're, it's not only feelings of maybe disappointment, sadness, regret. How long before you know that it's disordered or, you know, and it's beyond what you can do to fix it and you need professional help. Well, the answer simply says, 
if it begins to interfere with your daily functioning, and if you are no longer able to feel like you can snap out of it or get out of it, and if it lasts a period of two weeks or longer, and that two weeks you're not able to do daily function, you're not able to get out of bed, you, 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 you're blowing off classes, you're not going to work, you're okay. You're so, sleeping a lot. Yeah, you're sleeping a lot or, or not sleeping, you mm-hmm. know, either way. So the point is that two weeks, we would begin to say, all right, a normal, you know, emotional reaction or response to this is somebody that could get out of this after a couple of days, maybe a week, but it's interfering with your daily functioning, you feel like you're not in control, and you also experience these things for longer than two weeks, for both anxiety and depression, that's the, the trigger at least to say, all right, I, I need to get to somebody else. So that's the quick answer to the question, um, Lise. I love that. That's really, really helpful. When I, um, I think when I think about some of the signs that you would look for, yeah. um, that was really helpful that you talked about like some of the physical symptoms you said, like um, you're sleeping too much or too little, right. or maybe you're overeating or you even have a loss of appetite. Uh-huh. You're just not eating at all. Headaches, unexplained aches and pains. What about worrisome uh, behaviors? Yeah. What would you look at? That w- What behaviors would you see somebody exhibiting that would be a warning flag to you? Yeah, so if a person um, you know, is dealing with, l- let's just start with, okay, anxiety as is, is one. Remember, anxiety is something that, we're all going to experience at some point, right? There's nothing wrong with these feelings, you know, that, you know, worry and and maybe fear. When it becomes intense or excessive and your behavior starts to show things like um, uh, not attending certain events, you you can normally find a, a, so so you, you avoid that. You can normally find a place to go and uh, relax, and, but now all of a sudden you don't ha- you can't find that safe space. So, mm-hmm. physical symptoms you have racing hearts, you know, trembling, sweating, crying, uh, all, all, but your behaviors uh, are almost feeling like I don't control them, mm-hmm. I, I can't get away from them. What I used to do to calm down doesn't work, and it, it so you know. Oh, go ahead. What what about like a a lot a loss of um, your desire to keep up your appearance? You know, something like you're just not showering. Right. You don't feel sure. like getting out of bed, mm-hmm. taking care of yourself. Yeah. You just have an overall lack of motivation. Yeah, I think that's more uh, you know more related to depression. Uh, or a sign. Now, remember, there's a lot of what we call comorbidity, which is most of these disorders that we're going to talk about uh, uh, happen in conjunction with one another. There's a strong, what we call high comorbidity that they like the coexistence of both anxiety and depression in the same person. And so they overlap a lot, which which first of all leads to diagnosis problems. You know, people don't know, well, well, what do you have? Oh, I've got depression. Well, I've got anxiety. And it can change depending upon the things you're experiencing. So people might have social anxiety, but it's coupled maybe with depression. Mm. Or, or, or they might even have social anxiety 
you know, uh, that could be coupled with something like uh, a deeper form of a panic disorder. Now, those are both within the category of anxiety, but panic disorders, all of a sudden you're, you know, so in a behavior, an anxiety type of behavior, you know, it could be things like uh, excessive crying, but it could be you're just driving down the street and all of a sudden you have this dread feeling and it almost feels like a heart attack and you don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. And, you know, we've had friends say they've driven, you know, to an emergency room Mm -hmm. only to be found out that it was just a panic attack. So stress can lead to this high levels where you're just anxious all of the time. You're not eating well. Those are behaviors to look for. Same with sleeping in or not sleeping. Same with the over amount of fatigue with depression. So, those are some of the signs to look for and some of the behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then can yeah. I ask you this, Chris? Sure. Um, can you talk a little bit? I mean, this is so interesting because your background is as a, you have your PhD and then psychology, your specialty area is social psychology, but you also have training in mental health first aid. Right. Uh, here at the university, you were over student development and dealt with a lot. You were vice president of student development, dealt a whole lot with uh, students that were in mental health crises. So you have a wide background in this. Can you talk a little bit about um, like whether these things, are they situational, caused by temporary circumstances that might happen? Mm-hmm. Are they more biological in nature, like biochemical? Sure. Well, t- will you talk a little bit about that, about why suddenly, I mean, does anxiety, depression, does mm-hmm. it suddenly occur in somebody right. and pop up? Or is it something they've lived with all their lives and they're just now determining that that's yeah. an issue? Or Yeah, well, all the answers are right, right? You struggle uh, with... Um, stress and a person maybe handles it well at one point in one time of life, but stress clearly can overwhelm us. So there's that's what we call situational, right? Things, things that are kind of in our control. You might have a bad job. You might be in a bad relationship. You might not have any money. You might be dealing with you know family issues, and that's all causing stress. But stress does have the ability to be navigated and managed. But one of the symptoms or, well, better yet, causes of something like a, a mental health struggle is everyday stressors and, and major stressors, right? Trauma. Just trying to deal with the pressures of life, mm-hmm. let's say. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, though, that besides pressures of life that we, we oftentimes look at is that th- th- this is clearly, a, there's clearly genetics involved. Now, how much you can attribute to, you know, grandma you know, Ruth back in the day Mm -hmm. or, you know, crazy Uncle Harold who always was struggling, you know, with addictions, whatever. I mean, genetics is a piece much more in some than in others. So Mm. schizophrenia, uh, probably, uh, you know, a stronger genetic link. Uh, manic depression mm-hmm. is a pretty good genetic link. That if you that mm-hmm. is if you have both parents, mm-hmm. your odds increase. You know to a certain level. Twin studies have shown us that that oftentimes when you have an identical twin who struggles with schizophrenia, you have a fifty percent likelihood yourself. So what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, certain strong disorders probably a genetic more more linkable mm. to genetics something like anxiety and depression 
could be, uh, you know, fairly high. That is, you have a greater likelihood, you know, 15 to 20 percent likelihood if one of your parents is struggling with this. Um, but even if both parents have depression or anxiety, it doesn't mean you will. Uh, mm-hmm. So that means it's not fully genetic. In fact, they're still trying to figure this out. <laughs> so I think at least that that's the the two issues that are best. But but also, interestingly enough, there's a third and, and actually a fourth. Uh, some people look at where you live, like higher latitudes, you know, in the northern hemisphere deal with more depression than people in the southern ah. latitudes where they get more sun. And, that, and that's been found. Mm-hmm. But it just, What do they call that? A f- uh, well, affective disorder? Yeah, it's seasonal affective, um, uh, sad. and uh, But seasonal affective is different than, you know, where you live, uh, you know what I mean, in the northern oh, okay. hemisphere. But it does say that when the weather gets cloudy and cold, you know, it, it can have an effect. That's right. The other, though, is the way you think. Uh, okay, the same thing can happen to you that happens to me and you don't respond as strongly with anxiety, let's say, in a certain situation. Well, it's the same event, same situation. Mm. Let's say you're identical twins, but one of you is thinking differently, has a different mental, you know, kind of worldview about this Mm -hmm. and says, oh, you know, I, I will process it this way. Or they don't, People that struggle with certain disorders, they, they focus too much on, you know, on things like their own, it's kind of self-defeating thoughts. They focus on their mistakes a lot. They maybe compare themselves, you know, to other people very unfavorably. Mm. And then they reject compliments, you know, and, and then they don't correctly evaluate how good they are. So, you know, you could have the same things happening, but one person thinks slightly differently and that doesn't cause as much of a problem. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the, you know, what we would say uh, ways in which we can explain this. Mm-hmm. What about from a biochemical perspective? Yeah, that's the whole idea of genetics is is underneath that is this idea of, oh, you're being exposed to a, a certain amount of chemical, you know, in the brain. So, for example, increased amounts of... Um, you know, or decreased amounts of dopamine, you know, the, this circuit or, or epinephrine or norepinephrine and anxiety, all of these uh, biochemicals that go through our bodies do seem to get a little bit out of whack. All right. And so now we can go in. You can't really do a great blood test for this. It, it's a little bit harder, but we do see associations between certain, you know, struggles, depression and anxiety and increased or decreased amounts of certain Chemicals. The quickest answer, easiest one is this. If you have anxiety, you don't have enough, probably at some level in your brain, of something called GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid. It's just, you know, it's just a, a, what we call an inhibitory neurotransmitter. All that means mm-hmm. is. That's fancy talk there. <laughs> that's right. Yes, catch me afterwards. That's, that's, but, but GABA, it, it, it's, it stops your brain from going off and just going, bam, 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 I'm worried, worried, scared, nervous, scared, scared. GABA says, slow down, it's okay, don't worry, and we all have GABA, right? Slow down, don't worry, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Well, for someone with anxiety, they don't have enough. So guess what we give them? If they go into a doctor and you say you're anxious, the first thing he's going to he or she's going to prescribe to you is probably GABA, some sort of 
drug or medication that increases the biochemical in you that's an inhibitory. It slows down thinking, which slows down your heart, slows down your runaway thoughts. And that makes people with anxiety better able to function. That's so interesting. It's almost like a car that isn't functioning properly because it's low on oil. And so um, to look at it from that perspective of it's not necessarily, it doesn't mean that you're weak or that uh, you're defective in any way. It just might mean that that from a biological perspective, your body's just not producing enough of a certain chemical and this medication will do it. Let me, uh, I have two questions that yeah. I want to ask you then. I love talking about this. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'd like for you to address uh, the perspective of medication. Okay. Because I know sometimes a lot of people are really hesitant to get on medication because they're worried about it being addictive. So could you speak to that? And then I have another question that I want to ask you about that. But can you talk about that for a sec? Yeah. Biomedical therapies, um, treatment, gosh, there's all kinds of words for this, psychopharmacology or psychopharmacotherapy or just plain old drug therapy. Listen, I don't have any problems whatsoever with today's anti-anxieties, antidepressants and anti-psychotics being prescribed by the vast majority of all either general practitioners or psychiatrists. Your general practitioner can pretty much prescribe and will an anti-anxiety or antidepressant. And they're, 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 I wouldn't say they're 100% harmless, but they are so well regulated. You know, if you take something, for, let's say it's something like Xanax for anti-anxiety or something like Prozac or Zoloft, you know, the, the gold standard, I guess, in antidepressants, we have these things down we they have these things down to where they're not going to cause you to get addicted they they don't cause you to become dependent on them they don't make you into a zombie they don't all of a sudden take a depressed person and make them extremely excitable and happy and you know everything is great they don't take somebody who's anxious and all of a sudden make them this you know zombie these drugs in the amounts given as regulated you take them according to prescription they're going to start in a couple of days, maybe in a week or two, to start alleviating the vast majority of anxiety and depression symptoms. Now, they don't work for everybody, and there's a small segment of people that it doesn't work for. However, I would I get this question all the time. Well, what about Christians who, you know, fear? You know, that, that they just want to rely on God, that maybe, you know, they're not praying enough or, you know, I, I would say that, yeah, that pray, uh, gratitude and thanksgiving, but, but lift up the doctors. Thank God for his common grace, which allows these doctors mm-hmm. to find the certain medications and dedicate their lives to helping people with depression. Many of these doctors go in there who are researching this because of personal experiences and mm-hmm. they want to help. And so they come up with this cool little, you know, it's just GABA. It's like adding oil. You already have oil. It just adds a little bit more oil. GABA ah. is oil in your car. You're just adding a little bit of more oil because you're a quart short. And so mm-hmm. to be a quart short is to start feeling like, oh, I'm just kind of unable to regulate my fear. And so we give you GABA, it slows it down. You don't become dependent on it. It's like a car. Would a car 
get drunk on oil? No. Would it get dependent on oil? No. It's already dependent on. You're already dependent on GABA. You're not mm, going to get that's more. That's a great point. You just mm-hmm. simply have not enough. So, I always recommend, man, for parents or students, listen. Th- this is so well regulated. And besides, it's very easy to to step off if, if if it doesn't work for you. Some of the side effects maybe sleepiness or, you know, maybe eating too much or maybe your, your mouth is dry. All of those things can be ameliorated, can can be helped by just simply working, you know, with the professional. By the way, they prescribe these things, uh, I I think, um, properly in a vast majority of people in the proper way that protects them. Yeah. Well, and you just, you, in the process of answering that, you also answered my other question, Mm -hmm. which was uh, the role that our faith plays in this. I know that there, there's a branch of Christianity that would say, um, you know, psychology is, is kind of of the devil or, I mean, that would be the extreme, but there would definitely be a branch that would say, uh, you know, if you're, if you're turning to a psychologist or a therapist or medication, you're just not, it's a sign you're not trusting God enough and you just need to pray more about it. And, uh, and, and if you're still struggling with depression or anxiety, Mm -hmm. that just means you're not spiritual enough. You just need to pray. You need to trust God more. What, what would you say to that? Well, yeah, I mean, as a believer we, sure. and as a psychologist, a believing psychologist, yeah. what well, would you say, well, evangelical believer? So let's say this. I think in general, any any person, I would say, yeah, you're probably right. You probably do need to have more trust and more faith and more prayer. But I'd say that to everybody. Everybody in life that walks with Jesus needs to pray more, probably have more trust in general, and to recognize God's you know special and common grace in our lives, his special grace where he heals dramatically or transforms us, but also his common grace where help we you know we get the help we need. You know, guys go in there and they dedicate their whole lives to helping people who have broken a bone, you know, and, mm. and, and they set that bone and so that you can walk properly. And it, it, it's the same thing that happens with people who, you know, have a, a decrease in the amount of a particular neurotransmitter or behaviors that are not doing well. And, and, and do you pray for the doctor? I hope so. Do you have faith that this doctor is going to set your leg? Well, I hope so. If you see a doctor that you don't trust because they have, I don't know, you know, bad, you know, hygienic habits and you just don't like the way their <laughs> operating room looks and you run away like, yeah, there are people like that. Then go someplace else. Does that mean you don't trust God to go in and get your legs set? No, you trust him so much that mm. you're willing to go and say, Lord, give me the help I need. And he says, I've provided that. It's right here. But Lord, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Well, you know, it's like the guy on top of the roof that is the house is flooding. So he climbs up on the roof and a guy comes by and he says, God, help me. You know, he's praying to God. So a guy comes by and says, hey, I got a raft. Come on. He goes, no, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. Mm-hmm. You know, and then a guy comes by in a, you know, a nice outboard motor and he says, come on, guys, help. You know, I I've, I got you. No, I'm waiting for God to help me. And a guy comes paddling by, you know, on a thing. He goes, come on, get on board. I can save you. And he goes, nope, I'm waiting for God. 
water rises and he dies and he goes to heaven and says, what happened? He goes, man, God, I thought I prayed to you and that you helped me. He goes, I did. I sent you a paddleboarder. I sent you a raft and <laughs> sent you an outboard motor guy. And he goes, God, that's yeah. my job. He has sent us antidepressants and he has sent us therapists and he has sent us counselors and anti-anxiety medications. I love that. And All truth is God's truth. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So, well, well, this well, we'll is wrap good up. Stuff. Yeah, this is really great. This kind of sets the table of where we're going in the next couple of episodes. Episodes. We're going to dive a little bit deeper and we're going to look at how these um, mental disorders can affect our relationships. And two that we're going to specifically unpack is what do you do if you're a parent and you suspect that your child may be struggling uh, with a mental disorder? How do you tell the difference? And then we're also going to talk about how it impacts us relationally in our marriage when you have a spouse or partner or a close loved one that is struggling with that. What can you do to come alongside? So we hope that uh, that you'll stick with us through these next couple of episodes. We are so glad that you're with us today. And um, if we want to be sure and have you check out our website as we close at cmr.biola.edu and check us out there. We are part of Biola University and we're so glad you joined us today. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Art of Relationships. This podcast is only made possible through generous donations from listeners just like you. If you like it and want to help keep the podcast going, visit our website at cmr.biola.edu and make a donation today.